if you have if you have a Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter four. There's some Bibles underneath your seats if you don't have one for yourself. And here's a disclaimer: I did not pick this passage for this Sunday. Um, I picked the next passage in the sermon series we're in. I'm just old school that way. I mean, John Calvin was preaching through a book of the Bible. He got fired by his church, sent to a different country. Years later, they called him back, and he preached the next passage that he left off in. That's kind of how I am. And yet, what you'll see as we read this passage, how appropriate it is for uh, a day like today. So let us uh, read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 17. Hear now God's word. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bear with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended, higher than all the heavens, in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is God's word. Well, I know in talking to many of you, members of Forestdale Church, these past few months, I have learned that this past year for Forestdale Church, and perhaps further beyond that, has been one of steady decline for various reasons, many of them independent and unrelated to each other, members have been moving on. Even in the months leading up to my arrival here, key members continued to trickle away. And I know it's been discouraging for many, if not all of you. I don't know what lies ahead for us in the immediate future. I have to be honest when I say I just don't know. 
but I can say this, thinking about these things has not in any way changed my desire to be here, nor has it altered my enthusiasm and my confidence for the future of this church. And here's why, and it's as simple as this. I believe I am called by God to be here. I remember over a year ago, I sent an email to Gary telling him about a church in Connecticut that needed a lot of help. It was an extremely grim situation, but there were a lot of professional reports that were done to figure out the situation and to see if this church was still viable. Studies looked into the population trends of the area. There was data on other churches in the area, a financial analysis of the church and their region. And I knew that if anyone in the world could sift through this data and could tell me what's really happening, Gary could. He knows this kind of stuff. I mean, he's a professional church assessor. He has lived and breathed this stuff in his own ministry at City United. And he has coached scores of pastors who are revitalizing dying churches like this one in Connecticut. And so I was really shocked by how he responded to me. Do you remember what you said? No. <laughs> very simply, but very powerfully, he said, and I was shocked to hear this from Gary Moritz. If God has called you to this location and these people, the reports do not matter. If God has called you. Imagine that. We almost never think in terms of calling, do we? I mean, I've been meeting people here in Sandwich for the first time. People at the gym, other dads at the park, families in the neighborhood. I'm expecting to be asked in these encounters questions like, where are you from? Where do you work? Do you have any hobbies or interests? But I've never been asked the question, and neither have I asked anyone else the question, what is your calling in life? And yet for the Apostle Paul, as he writes this passage to the church in Ephesus, that's all he cares about. Calling is the controlling factor which unfolds all the details of our passage that we read this evening. Look again at verse 1. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Do you know what your calling is in life? You may have many. Do you know what they are? And do you know what it means to walk worthy of that calling? Only when we live in light of the calling we have been given by God can we truly be free. Otherwise, if we do not know our calling or we're not living out the calling that we know we have, we will be lost in a maze of doubt. We will always be in fear of missing out. We will longingly look at others who look like they have it all together and wonder if we could ever feel like they feel. Only when we live in light of the calling we have been given by God can we truly be free. For only then are we truly being who God has made us to be. Now I know some people here might not call themselves a Christian. So let me just say something briefly to you. If you're not calling yourself a Christian, this means that 
in some way, it's at some level, you're trying to define for yourself what your calling in life is. Well, let me tell you that you, as a person who's been made in the image of God, were called by God to know Him. To know Him through Jesus Christ. To be reconciled to Him through Christ's atoning sacrifice. And to be given a calling as one who bears the image of Christ. I invite you into that calling if you haven't answered that call. But for Forestill Church, here's three questions that I want to ask that will walk us through the passage we read. It will ring out the details of what it means for us to live a life worthy of the calling we have received. First, what is our calling as a church? Second, what is my calling as a pastor? And third, and most importantly, is there any hope any of this is going to work? So first, what is our calling as a church? You can see again in verse 3, Paul says what the calling is of the church. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Here's a couple observations from this verse here. First, notice, he does not say to establish your calling and then to maintain the calling you've established, but rather to maintain the calling you have received. Why? Because, well, keeping in mind what he's just written in chapter 2, that our calling to be unified has already been established by Jesus Christ. It's like being born into a new family with brothers and sisters who are already there ahead of you. You didn't become siblings with them because you decided to do something, but because something decided to happen to you. Our unity as Christians has been established by Christ, for in coming in faith to Christ, we have been born again by the Holy Spirit and have been united together as one family with everyone else who has this Holy Spirit. This is why Paul calls it the unity of the Spirit. We haven't been brought together into a spiritual unity with one another as one body. But check out the multiple layers of our unity that he writes about in verse 5 and 6. He says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all. I mean, layer after layer, Paul hammers this home, the unity we have as God's people. Our unity comes from being called by the same Father to the same Lord, through the same faith, under the same baptism. Although sometimes it might seem like we as a church are just a bunch of random people who happen to show up together at the same place each week, like some small town adult softball team. We are actually much more united than that. We are called by the same commander to the same captain through the same confession and we've gone under the same crucible, baptism. A final note on our calling as a church. Because we have been brought into a spiritual unity with one another, we are then called to have a relational unity with one another. So this is what Paul is talking about in verse 2. Here's this relational unity. Be completely humble and gentle, as we've already heard about tonight. Be patient, 
bearing with one another in love. And then again in verse 15, speaking the truth to one another in love. So our call to live out, uh, our call to unity is, is simply a call to live out who you are. I mean, imagine how silly it would be for a, a young frog to ask his mother, Mommy, what should I do? Well, well, jump. You're a frog. Church, be united. You're Christians. Just like when you've been born into a family, among other brothers and sisters, you have a calling to them as a family member. Now, remember the context of Paul's letter. He's writing to the church in Ephesus. So when he's calling them to pursue a relational unity with one another, he's calling them to do this specifically with other members of their church. This call goes hand in hand with the calling we see in Hebrews 10. I'm sure you've heard these verses before. Let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. I mean, it seems obvious, but it's still worth noting here. This is not a call for every individual to gather as one universal assembly at Coachella or something like that. No. This is a calling for every Christian to meet together with the local assemblies of Christians that they live among. In other words, their local church. So the question we all need to ask of ourselves is, where do we fulfill this calling in our lives? Because if you're a Christian, you're called to a church. So then where, Christian, are you called to? Whatever church that is, I urge you to live a life worthy of that calling you have received. Go all in. Don't passively watch from the outside when things are uncertain and then only come back when things are looking good again. Press into the oneness with which you were called. Cultivate relational unity with other members of the church. I mean, spend time together. Enjoy the blessing God brings to your life when you fulfill that calling. In season and out of season, whether things are going well or not. Only when you live in light of the calling you have been given as a church can you truly be free. For only then are you truly being, as a church, what you're called to be. But now this brings me to the second question I have for our passage, which is, what is my calling as a pastor? I mean, when a new pastor comes in town, it's like everyone comes up with their microphones. So what are you going to do? What are your plans for the church? What are you going to change? Well, thank God, most of those questions have been answered for me. Look again with me at verse 11. Paul writes, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, that's me, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ." Paul lists here five special agents, as I call them. And when you think about each of these special agents, 
you'll see that they all have a speaking ministry. A speaking ministry. The apostles and prophets, for example, laid the foundation for the church in their writings of the New Testament as inspired by the Holy Spirit. They proclaimed that message. Evangelists here are similar to what we might think of as missionaries who break new ground where the gospel has not been heard and believed. They are people who repeat this word of the apostles and prophets. And finally, pastors and teachers were agents who remained with those local congregations, those local assemblies of believers who heard and believed the word of the apostles and prophets in order that, verse 12, to equip those people, verse 13, for the result that we will reach the unity, unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Well, just as each Christian has a calling, so I too, as a pastor, have been given a calling. Which means that I'm not free to make one up for myself. In order for me to live worthy of the calling I have received, I must know what that calling is and what it is not. And submit to that calling. So what exactly is my calling? Well, we know from what we've seen, it has something to do with a speaking ministry. And we know that its purpose is to equip or to build up the saints for our growth in unity in the faith. But we get more clarity when we survey some more of the New Testament. Starting in Acts 6, the Apostle Luke documents the story that as the early church was accumulating more and more Christians into the assembly of believers, when they heard the gospel about Jesus Christ, it was the serving ministry, not the speaking ministry, that was being overwhelmed because the church was providing meals for the widows of the church. So the church appointed to be what we might call today deacons. And why is that? Well, the answer is very telling. The apostle said, so that we can remain devoted to the ministry of the word and to prayer. Well, years later, as Paul is now personally training and equipping pastors of local churches, that he writes to Timothy, one, uh, who's, who was a pastor, a young pastor. He writes to Timothy, in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and with careful instruction. There are many things that I can do, and there are many things that I will enjoy doing as a pastor, but one thing, and one thing only, is central to my calling as a pastor, and that is the ministry of the word and to prayer. Now, the ministry of word and prayer does not begin and end with preaching sermons and praying on Sunday. This is fulfilled in every context that I find myself in with another member of our church, whether it's in small group meetings or just spending time with you as individuals to build you up and to encourage you in the faith by teaching you and reminding you of God's precious promises to you by praying for you and praying with you. Only when I live in light of the calling I've been given will I be truly free as a pastor, free from wondering if I'm really making a difference, free from wondering if I should copy other pastors who are doing a lot of other things. 
Only when I live in light of the calling I have been given will I truly be free, for then and only then will I be being who God has made me to be as a pastor. Well, now perhaps what we're all most interested to know is the answer to our third question. Is there any hope that any of this is going to work? Are we just giving it our best shot, swinging for the fences and closing our eyes? If we really commit to pursuing our relational ministry underneath the equipping ministry of pastors and teachers, is there any reason for us to believe that our church will still exist, let alone be healthy and vibrant, five years from now? Just give me five years. Or what about 10 years from now? What about 20 years from now? Henry will be 20. Or 50 years from now. Or 100 years from now. And I still haven't reached how old the church already is. Is there any hope any of this will work? Well, I say yes. But only when we fix our eyes on Christ. Here's what I mean by that. Take, for example, our calling as a church to cultivate relational unity, as we've seen. Well, what does Christ have to do with that calling? As I mentioned earlier, in chapter 2 of Ephesians, Paul explained how Christ's death established this unity. In his death, he broke down the dividing wall, separating Jew from Gentile, such that all who've been purified by the work of Christ, his atoning sacrifice on the cross, has been given the Holy Spirit, and by virtue of having his Holy Spirit, have been united together as one body with everyone else who has this faith in Christ. Our unity was not established by us in our work, but by Christ in his work. We got into the situation to begin with because Christ fulfilled the calling that he had from his Father. Our unity was established by Christ. But now consider again my calling as a pastor to the ministry of the word and prayer. What does Jesus have to do with my calling? Well, just like our calling to unity, my calling did not come from me or my work or some other pastor in his work, but from Christ and Christ's work. Did you notice when I first read the passage, the strange verses about Christ's descent as a man to earth and then his ascent into heaven? Verse 7. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, quoting Psalm 68, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to people. Verse 11. Christ himself gave. When Christ rose from the dead, this is my favorite stuff, theology right here. When Christ rose from the dead and then ascended into heaven, what happened next? What was the next big event that would happen for the church? Pentecost. It was as if Jesus pierced heaven so that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on earth to his people. He told his disciples in advance that this would happen. Jesus hand-delivered through his Spirit every gift necessary to his church so that they could be built up by his Spirit whereby some are called to be pastors and teachers. 
So Christ not only has established our unity, but he actively empowers our unity in supplying the Holy Spirit to his people, giving them various gifts for building up the body. And the fact that men are still being called to the ministry is a testament to the fact that Jesus is still reigning in heaven. Jesus is still supplying his church today with everything we need to grow. So it is that Paul writes in verse 16, from him. Perhaps the most underrated words of this passage. From him, the whole body grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Christ is the source of, the life stream that feeds a tree. He is the source of our growth as a church, for he is the cause of our unity, and he is the supplier of every gift that we need. So praise be to Christ for what he has done and what he continues to do by his spirit. It all comes back to us now, doesn't it, when Christ said, I will build my church. See, I told you. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. As we go along as a church, there will be times where we might be tempted to put our hope in a new trending method for church growth or a new charismatic personality or X, Y, or Z. But these are false hopes if they are turning our eyes away from our calling. The church of Christ has existed for 2,000 years. It began and grew in, historically, the most impossible circumstances for something like that to grow. Confirm my Easter sermon online. The church has preserved and persevered through far greater trials than what Forestdale Church has ever experienced. It has grown in many different epochs of history it has infiltrated thousands of cultures. It's safe to say then that it not all of a sudden will need a new and better calling than the one that it has been given. So it is that I believe God has not called me to be any kind of savior for this church, but rather to point us to our savior, Jesus Christ, and to proclaim each week his commitment to you. I don't know what lies ahead for us. Hopefully growth by God's grace. But I can't even promise you that things won't get worse before they get better. I just don't know. But know this. Christ will build his church. And I have every expectation that Forestdale Church is part of that plan if we will only live worthy of the calling we have received. Let us pray together. God, I thank you again for this opportunity to preach your word. How I grow by it myself. Before I even get here Sunday, I've already grown because of the time I've had with you. And I thank you that you have called me to a life of this. I thank you for all those who have been able to come, and I pray they've been encouraged in their faith. I pray these pastors have been encouraged in their faith 
as they go back this week, tomorrow, with a blank piece of paper to start over a new week. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.